2: Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson and this is episode 83 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast with a new episode released every single day. You get a big name extended interview like this one every Monday and short four or five minute daily episodes Tuesday through Sunday on a show that I call This Day Rocks. If this is your first time listening, please find Vintage Rock Pod on your podcast app or player of choice, and subscribe directly on there so you don't miss a single episode. As I said, one comes out every single day, and you can only get all those episodes on the Vintage Rock Pod feed, so give it a like or subscribe separately on there too, please. Now, today's interview is an extended one. You know that usually my interview shows run around the half-hour mark, you know, 25, maybe 40 minutes max. Well, today's is considerably longer, so strap in. My guest was incredibly open and honest about his career, his life, and more. And yes, he's another rock and roll hall of famer, lead singer with the 60s Merseybeat band, The Hollies, Alan Clark. The band were massive in the UK in this period. They burst onto the scene in the early 60s, and between 63 and 70 had 16 top 10 singles here alone. 11 of those were top 5, and one, I'm Alive, went to number one as well. Incredibly successful band. Now, the group in those early days consisted of Alan on lead vocals, Eric Haydock, then Bernie Calvert on bass, Tony Hicks on lead guitar, Bobby Elliott on drums, and Graham Nash on rhythm guitar. Yes, the same Graham Nash who left to form Crosby, Stills and Nash, and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. In fact, Alan and Graham were best friends from the age of just six, and when Graham left in 1969... Alan took it really hard, as you'd expect, and he's very honest in this interview about that time. Now, thankfully, they are back, and Graham has worked with Alan for the first time in decades on Alan's new album, which you'll hear all about as well. Honestly, it's a fascinating conversation, as Alan also tells stories about working with the Beatles, the big hits, of course, a funny trip to Vegas to see Elvis live, giving up the music business for 20 years, fearing he couldn't sing again, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, and much, much more. I really hope you enjoy this deep and fascinating chat with the lead singer of one of the biggest UK groups of the early 60s. Here's my chat with Alan Clark from the Hollies. Obviously, you met Graham Nash when you were just six years old. You've been friends ever since, and you've combined again on your new album, I'll Never Forget, which is due for release on BMG on April 7th. Now, we've got our first taste of the record on the track Buddy's Back, and it's you and Graham, and you're back together harmonising as well for the first time in decades. So let's start here. I mean, talk to me about this song and how all this came together.
1: Graham and I have been trying to get back together, or I have been trying to get back together with Graham uh, for a long, long time. Whenever we meet or we weren't used to meet in the past, it was, you know, someday we better do something together. Uh, this is after the 1984 thing that we did with him. And um, there was just one day I, I, I was asked to do, to, do, um, to give him a, a presentation, a, life, a Lifetime achievement presentation uh, in, in, in London. Uh, but I did, it, I did it secretly and I hadn't seen him for years. Uh, so when it did happen, it was uh, I, w- I was in The Gods, of course, in the theatre. And then they took me down to the side of the stage, and uh, and then they introduced me to go on to present this to, to Graham. Graham was in the audience, and he obviously didn't know. Uh, so I did my little spiel uh, about how wonderful it was to have a friend like Graham Nash. And he came up, and he gave me a big hug. And he said, it's nice to see you again now. It's nice being together. And I think that was, I think we, it was like we touched emotionally and all that, you know, it was really, really wild. Uh, But after that, I saw him quite a lot. I used to meet him in London at his hotel. And he was very interested in the album that I did, Resurgence, which the album that I did before. So I went down, we had a chat, and I let him listen to it. And he said, Hey, that sounds really great, wonderful not saying anything else, you know. So I thought, okay, he likes the album. That's good enough. That's that's one step forward. So after the next, you know, couple of years, uh, what happened was that uh, I got older I Graham again. I says, look, I've got this song. Uh, do you fancy doing it? Doing an album? And he said, yes. send me the song, which I did. And it's one that is on the album, and it's called I'll Never Forget. And, and I wrote the song... Uh, it with a, lyrically trying to say that uh, this might happen, it might not happen. Like here we, here we are finding ourselves in a peculiar situation and wondering whether what we're trying to do is going to happen and, and what will it be like if it does happen and what will happen after that, if it does this and if it does that. So it was about a hesitation song about, you know, are we going to do it or aren't we going to do it? So I sent it to Graham and he liked it. And he said, let's do it. So that was the actual start of doing the album. Um, obviously, everything else had happened around the world like COVID. And we were still, you know, no one's able to travel and do anything. It's a shame, really, because I would have liked to have written with Graham, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. with the album. But that, we, we couldn't do that. So uh, we got that one song uh, under our belt. And, uh, and I sent him another couple of stuff, which he liked. And then halfway through, he said, Alan, uh, he said, I think this should be your solo album. He said, because you're really good voice now. He said, this is really good that you're doing this. And and I will put all the harmonies on. And and I said to him, well, you've got to write something, you know, about, you know, about it. And he said, don't worry, us. I'll write a song. And, uh, and he came up with Buddy's Back. And what that actually says in two and a half minutes was the complete start of our love with Buddy Holly, taking it right through, you know, go, going through like even looking in, in a mirror, pretending to be to be them, you know, to the part where it led us to call ourselves right in the end, Buddy Holly, but having him in the beginning of our life in, musically, you know, and actually calling the group, the Hollies after that. And he's done a he's done a wonderful job. He sent me the song, and he says, "You do what you think right with it." So, with my producer, we uh, we, we, we fiddled about it, you know, and made made just a little bit more reference to Buddy Hollow with the drum sound and everything like that. And I sent that back to him. I said, "What do you think?" He says, "That's going to sound great on the album." So that's what we did, and and that's how we we planned the album, and that's how we recorded it. Uh, with me sort of doing my demo of the song and then me sending my demo down to my producer and my producer uh, cleaning my, throwing my demo <laughs> away, really. But, but put what he always kept a few guitar links here and there, you know, but then started working on on the song. Uh, and, and I was able to actually go down at that particular time, going out COVID-free, etc. cetera. So we worked on the backing tracks, and then put my vocal on, some of my vocals I did up here, and just sent them down. Um, and then we sent that finished thing over to Graham, and then he did his harmonies over there in his studio with Todd Caldwell, who was his like, co-producer. And then he sent it back and says, how's that? And we said, great, but maybe you can double that harmony up. So I, I made him work, you know, and that was it. And, and that's how it went along with the tracks. And, and most of the tracks uh, are, can can be, uh, you, you can hear the involvement of Graham uh, uh, in, in most of the lyrics. There's only a few where you don't, you know, but uh, I do refer to Graham mainly when I wrote the songs, listening to what I sing and what in his harmony would sound with my, my, my singing. So that was, the for me, that was the main aim of getting that sound back. And and I think we actually did it, yeah. and and everybody I played it to, really like it, you know, especially that you know when they've not heard anything like that from us for a long, long time, they instantly say, "There it is, that's the sound of the Hollies," and and that's what I was trying to achieve, and and I think it worked.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, indeed, uh, it sounds fantastic. Like I said, with the harmonising on there, it's a catchy little number as well. So, what can we expect from the rest of the album when it comes?
1: well there are sad songs uh, there are funny songs um, there's, there's there's a song about the world situation uh,
2: hard to avoid
1: <laughs> yeah I, well I, I don't like political things you know but I do I'm not a guy that would go out on a march I'm too <laughs> old for this to, to do that anyway you know, so it's a bit late for me to say that but you know I, I do think that the world's in a funny place there's a lot of things going on which shouldn't be happening as we all know And and it was it was actually a song that I I I did a song on the last album called The Door is Slowly Closing, which which is actually saying you better watch out because there's going to be a lot of things happening that you thought would never happen, and 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 just recently that's that's come true. And not that I'm trying to be you know somebody who could read the future or anything like that. (laughs) Quite obvious, everybody. When you look at nature around you, it's quite obvious. Uh, and uh, I did have lyrics for this particular song for quite a while, so I put it to music, and it's called You Need Someone to Save You, and and, and it's about the what's happening to nature. Because um, you can see it the, every, every night now, now when you look on television. There's always something that's happening somewhere else in the world, which is devastation. You know, and that's, not, that's not good news. So I just thought that I'd put my tooth, anything, on how I feel. Uh, there must be something that everybody can do, or there must there must be someone who could bring people together. Uh, and, and, and yeah, but and everybody keeps sticking the finger in, like Putin and people like that, you know. And they keep stopping, you know, what we need to do. That's what that song about. And uh, I wrote a love song for my wife. We'll be married sixty years next year, wow. and uh, she she was the original Jennifer Records. Uh and um, it, it's actually a song that I think that everybody can can relate to, because I think it's, a, it's, it's having a person in your life for so long that you know the presence of this particular person makes life worth living. And so, and I think that there's, there's there's thousands and thousands of people I know on the face of the earth that that know what the actual word love means, you know. So, there's that one. That's my own personal one. And these things of that, of that, are that way lyrically. Wonderful. Yeah.
2: So, Alan Nostradamus. Is there a favourite track of yours on the album? I like to put people on the spot and, and ask them: Is there one in particular that stands out to you? Nostradamus.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Predicting the future. <laughs> well, that's the one. That's the one. one you know. I've not. You know, he's made a few, a uh, few right things, hasn't he? You know. But uh, but I hope that he's wrong. You know about <laughs> maybe the. Uh, and you know, I, I I do wish, you know, and, and and pray for you know every night for the, the 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 willingness of people to stop doing the wrong thing and do the right thing. There's not much I can do about, it. you know, I'm only a single person. So the only thing that I can do is just say what how I feel about things. There's there's only that one track on the album. I always take, as I said to Graham when we first played it, I, I know he's very political in in the way that he writes. And I said, I don't want to do any political songs whatsoever. So, you know, I know he writes great songs, you know, and, and, but, you know, uh, there was one song that he sent me called Golden Idol, uh, which was, uh, you have to get into the lyrics to find out what it actually means. But in the end, I, I, I got into it and it was it was heavily political. And, and I was saying, well, that's one song that I can't really get involved in because it's an American you know, and you can't start making points about how Americans are running they, their country. So I, I stay away from all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff, as I do here as well. Yeah. So, but you know, the, the album went well. You know, we we had fun even though we weren't together. We 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 had fun doing FaceTime and things like that. I actually got Graham when when I actually said something that he remembered from the past. He 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 answered me actually into his Mancunian tight way of voice. And I said, ah oh, there you are. You know, you know. So that relationship we, we we got back in a small way. He hasn't forgotten his roots as, as well as I haven't forgotten my roots. You know, so we don't see each other enough. Yeah. Uh, New York's not too far. Maybe I'm coming over to New York. And uh maybe do something over there. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah.
2: indeed. Uh, now, it was famous that uh, you took a step out of music, didn't you, for, for, was it 30 years or so, or 20 years? What is it? Um, because of you. your poor wife had, had cancer a, a number of times. And you came back, like you said, you had Resurgence, came out a couple of years ago and this, this album now. So you're enjoying being back in the music sphere and recording and putting things out again.
1: It's very unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> I, left, I left all this in ni- the end of 1999 for the reason that you quite rightly said. But also I wasn't hitting the right notes, you know, the high notes, which they were a killer to to sing. And like for the length of time that I was actually doing, the air that I breathe uh, and he and heavy and and all the other high notes that you have to hit to make it worthwhile, you're doing it. It was getting too much for me in the end, you know, doing 40 years of that stuff. Um, It took its toll. and we uh, well I had words with Tony and Bobby and, and what they wanted to do actually was they they didn't think that I was able to put on a show and quite rightly they were I, I wasn't able to do what I could do 20 years before uh, or even 10 years before you know and that happens to a lot of people in no matter jo- what job you're in course, i mean yeah. i have a car and you're a lorry driver you can give up you know and uh, so That, and Jenny getting cancer again, um, I I said, well, okay, that's it. I can't carry on. So here I go. What's going to happen from now on? Uh, But the thing that was what was going to happen was that uh, Jenny and I had to uh, say to ourselves, we don't know what's going to happen, in maybe tomorrow or in a year or whatever. We didn't have any idea of how or if she was ever going to be along for that long. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we decided, well, if we're going to do this, uh, let's go somewhere where we can escape to, where we know we're going to be happy and, and the, the sun's going to shine. So I, I bought a, a house in Hilton Head, which is in South Carolina, because uh, a doctor friend had taken me there before and we both fell in love with it. So we bought a ranch house in South Carolina and we, we went there for three months at a time, you know, and we had a, we had a wonderful six years there. And, you know, after the six years, you say to me, well, why are we doing this now? You know, you know th- th- what's happened? You know, we're both enjoying life. Uh, fortunately for us, our, our children uh, needed us back home more than just six months a year. So we decided to pull up sticks and come back and, uh, and spend... We were actually spending more time with the family in between going over there, but then it was down to... See, my, my son Toby and my daughter Piper decided to have children. So <laughs> grandchildren came along, you know, and, and it, it was brilliant looking after them in their younger younger age. I mean, my eldest two, and now, it's, what is it, Sam? And now we've got two 15-year-olds, you know, which have become a part of our life you know, because living in a, in a, in a not in a bubble, or we have, we have done three since COVID, but, you know, living together and not only becoming, well, we're becoming friends, you know, and, and, it, and it's great, it's wonderful. But so, you know, after that, I had no intention of, of doing music. Uh, only the thing that I did with Graham when I went down to Diablo Hall to claim my Buddy Holly Education Foundation guitar, which was great. Because, you know, uh, Phil Everly and I got ours for life. Nobody else did. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, that was good. And, and actually Graham forcing me to go on stage and sing Bustop. <laughs> for a long, long time. And then seeing him at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, which he said, Alan, you've got to come over. You know, you say you can't sing, but I'll, I'll bet you you can when you get over here. Because it overtakes you, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It really does. It's a shame that Tony and Bobby couldn't make it, yeah. but they wanted to work instead of doing something which I thought they should have done. Because, you know, not everybody gets into the rock and roll. I mean, Graham got in twice. So yes. <laughs> might even get in the third time. You never know. Uh, but it was a wonderful experience. It was great. Met a lot of, a lot of people. And, uh, and it gave me uh, just that little bit more uh, confidence in, in in my life, really, you know, because when you're living with a thing, that you, you know, all those great songs that you sang, and, and even now, when you know, sometimes you go on television and a clip comes up on YouTube, yeah. and here's this young guy singing, he ain't heavy, and they're going, oh, thank you, you know, and I look back on that and go, wow, you know, I was blessed, fantastic, lovely. but to relate to that now is that. Um, when we were sort got used to to, to the, our life as it is, I mean, I got I got ill uh, with prostate cancer, and it's another one of those things where you have to wait five years and you have to go through all the what you have to have done for that type of thing, and your attitude towards life changes. Uh, so I, this didn't actually start start me making uh, writing lyrics, but uh, well, it did in a way. I, I was just up in in, in this room. Uh, where I am now and uh, I started writing lyrics and I wrote a poem uh, and it sounded pretty good to me I was quite surprised where it came from, You know, it came quite quickly and I, my, my wife read it and then let it, uh, a few other people read it and they said well why don't you put it to music and I said well first of all I don't know how to do that because I was a vocal I was a singer yeah. and then again I can't sing I kept telling myself, you see, that I couldn't sing. And they said, well, why don't you try singing it lower? Which, which never, I never thought, <laughs> you know, that I, you know, why do I do that? Um, so I did. I, I put music to that particular song and I sent it to a few friends and they, they came back with, why well, you should do more. Uh, and over a period of going through my cancer treatment and everything, I, I compiled uh, enough songs. The you know, garage band. I didn't even know what it was for, because <laughs> uh, he there was no need for me to use it, you know. But with my my son Toby, who teaches performing arts and, and music, he said to me, "There's a thing on here." He says, "You've seen me use it," and you said, "What are those squiggly lines that go?" He says, "Well, that's how you do it." So he came up and he loaded my machine and told and actually taught me how to get the track to him and to actually press the right button at the right time. I had to learn by making mistakes, yeah. you know, losing a track and going, oh, my God, track go. And then it's just a simple thing that you can go edit, <laughs> and you can actually, whatever you've whacked, you can bring it back. So you learn all these things. Like, So I started becoming a producer of music, doing it that way. And in that time, I'd sent this... There's a guy in America, in Los Angeles, Saul Davis, and his wife Carla Olson, who's got a group called the Textiles, and they're both wonderful people, and they've both been trying to get me to do an album for twenty years, and each time he say, "Don't ask me, I can't sing," but well, because I know him, they, they're both in the in in the business, and they 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 know what is good and what is bad. Um, I I sent my songs over, you know, just to get some sort of reaction. And the reaction was, "What are you doing? Why don't you do this properly? You know, get it? why aren't you doing it?" I'm going, "Well, I don't really. I'm not. really i don't not do not want to do that. It's just something I'm having fun." And um, I think that he actually sent these tracks to. Uh, he knows all the people there, and he sent it to Hartwig Masso from uh, from BMG. And and what happened? I get a phone call from BMG and Hartwig. He's saying, "Hello, Alan. How are you?" And I thought, well, I'm very well. What can I do Do I want to put your album out. So you see, Francis and I had got it to a part right, where we thought these demos, people told us the demos were good. So Francis Haynes, who was my producer, and he was in the holidays for a while, and we're great friends. We go right the way back, and he used to do demos for me, and they were brilliant demos. And so I thought, I need that guy. So he came up one day and I played him the stuff and he says, yeah, we can we can do that. And and he brought them up to a, to another level, you know. Man was out of the window, but you know, they was, they are, my ideas were there only really done properly. And we got to the point where we we finished the album and we gave it to BMG and it was put out. And everybody said, Wow, where did that come from? We thought you couldn't sing. Why haven't you been doing it for the last 20 years? Why aren't you on the road? All these types of things, you know, which obviously I couldn't do. Uh, and and it gave me a, a, a lot of confidence within myself. I did a lot of radios. I did a lot of traveling, you know. And as I say, it was it, 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 was, it was accepted. And, you know, people said, great, you know, oh, Alan's back. I wasn't back, you know, but I'd made an album and, and that was it. So, you know, that was three years ago now, maybe three or four years ago. So we went through COVID. Uh, I, I got the, the good news that everything's clear. That was, that was last year.
2: Fantastic.
1: Uh, and while that was happening in the beginning, I started my second album, you know, just writing stuff. And that's where the, the track uh, I'll never forget. Came in and meeting Graham again, and then actually getting to the point where he says, "I want to be involved in your album, but I would do the harmonies and you write the songs and I write a song," and that's how it is now. Uh, again, the same questions are thrown at me about, "Well, what are you going to do about it now?" I have no idea. I, have <laughs> I, I know that the British song is is a, a, a represent. It represents what our thoughts. Back in you know the, the the late when was it? It was about the late sixties. No, what am I talking about? The late fifties, early rock and roll. You know, with Eddie Cochran and all those people. You know, Gene Vincent, Little Richard. I'm a rock and roll guy myself, but I do I do have the the the, the way to sing any kind of song, you know, which is really good. So pleased that I was able to give he and heavy. The, the, the way that I sang it was the right way to sing it. Uh, as with uh, The other I Breathe, What well, two fantastic songs which were presented to the Hollies, which actually changed people's thoughts about what the Hollies are, you know, mm-hmm. and I saw like, one oh, cool woman when that made up to America. Number two, I wasn't with the band. I couldn't go over there and promote it, uh, but okay, it made number two. That made me very, very happy, even though I wasn't with the band. Although, <laughs> Things were happening within my life to get me to a point now where I'm, I've, I've written i s I've written a, I think it's a good album with yeah, uh, with yeah. Graham singing all the harmonies, sounding like we always used to sing, just yeah. that slightly la- lower voice. It, <laughs> yeah. So people right, are okay. saying now you know, well, when you start on your third album. <laughs> yeah.
2: So when are you starting your third album?
1: Well I'm gonna <laughs> With BMG, so you know, I, I think I'll go till about the day I drop. I don't know. Who knows? You know. I mean, I've, I've I've always lived my life a day at a time. You know, and it's been like that since a certain day in the '60s when I knew it was about time I stopped drinking, and that was a great day that I did that. Mm-hmm. I woke up, you know, and uh, and the world changed for me. Uh, so yeah, that's one of the uh, that's one of the points in my life as well that actually changed. Changed my life. Changed a lot of people's lives within my family, and uh, I know I, I, I just I just feel that you know I'm, I'm doing something which you know someone wants, someone will listen to it. You know I do have a fan base. Yeah. It's funny, it's called the Alan Clark Appreciation Society. I like the appreciation bit of it. You know, <laughs> but they, but there's other there's other sites out there as well. So someone is enjoying my music because they're buying it, which is great. Uh, whether I go out and do anything with that in the new year, it all depends on how strong my voice would be to be able to put maybe a, a half an hour together or three quarters of an hour together, and, and and try to do. I think it's possible. You know, there's wonderful things you can do on stage now. I see other guys going out there, you know, and and they they, they sound pretty good when they shouldn't be sounding pretty. Good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Quite honest about this, if, if I could get some help, you know, to make it half decent, and uh, and then and, and make it not that not stressful, you know, because with stress is this the worst yes. thing you don't want that in your life? And I never would want that in my life again. Uh, that could would be a possibility, but that would have to be getting this guy involved, that involved, and then getting it together and seeing if it would, would, would work. If it worked, then it'd be a yes. But if it didn't, then obviously there wouldn't be any, you know, there wouldn't be any. Absolutely. I I think playing the Albert Hall for one night, that would be great. Just me. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Great. And then that would be my farewell to (laughs) sing it. Maybe not just recording, but that would be my farewell to sing it.
2: And what a farewell it would be indeed. I mean, this this new album, I'll never forget. It's available to pre-order now, so I recommend everyone gets out there and, and checks out Alan's uh, website and social medias and all that sort of stuff. There's links everywhere you can get the pre-order, so you can yep. get it when it comes out on April 7th. Now, uh, Alan, if you don't mind taking you back, um, you've, you've mentioned loads of little bits that I'd love to dive into a little bit now. So um, let's go back to The Cotton Mill. I mean, you worked there when you were younger. Um, you and Graham have been trying to make it in bands. I remember speaking to um, Pete Staples from The Trogs in- he said he was an electrician and he was in someone's house fixing some wiring and there's his song playing on the radio and he's thinking why am I doing this when I should be out so so did you have a moment when the cotton mill had to go and you realized it was time to go professional
1: no no not not at all in my life at all uh graham and i used to work at a a company called kenyans and and some misdemeanor we got sacked uh (laughs) And it was about we wanted to go to one of these holiday camps because we got into the final, and we wanted to see if we could win it. Uh, we were singing uh, It's Only Make-Believe. We we won when we were having a holiday there. We won it, so they wanted us to go back, uh, and it was on a Saturday. Unfortunately, we had half-day's work on the Saturday, so we asked the boss if we could have the half-day off, and he said no, but we took it. Uh, we didn't win it. We came back and we got fired. Graham's dad made him go back. But then I then I went, I had to go into so I was I was more or less about a laborer after that because my, the 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 thing that I was supposed to be doing for five years was thrown out the window. Uh so you know Graham and I we were in several bands, as you say, and and as we were going out and not enjoying ourselves, we both had day jobs. One of my day jobs was working in Howell's Mill in Salford, which is about a hundred yards away from where I lived, uh, and I used—I went in there, being a cook carrier. And in, well, when you've been in a mill, especially a cotton mill, and you hear the machines going, can you can imagine, forty or fifty of those looms in one room, comes continually going, and I had to walk up and down the hours and cl- go to the looms and cut the the full, the full spindles off and take them to the, to the yard where they do other stuff with it. So I, I got pretty strong doing that. And, uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed it as a job really, because it, you know, you didn't have to use your brain. Then I went in to be a card cut. So I worked my way up and I had to do the looms, you know, at the top of the looms yeah. where things come down, where they do the pick threads up to make patterns on certain things. And I, I used to do the, the, the card, the cards for that. Um, and then the mill closed and I was the only guy, I was the last man out because I was the only guy who knew how to unhook all the looms. So I think it took me about a month to close down Howard's mill I'm doing that. Uh, so so I, I was at my job then and, and got a, another job uh, working in a, in, in a uh, it, was, it was a store which sold virtually everything that was on the carpet, was on the carpet wall. So anyway, in between that, obviously everything happened around in Manchester and in, and in Liverpool. Every, all the crews were coming up and doing, that, doing the, the stuff that they got from America, like Twist and Shout, and, you know, uh, all, all, all those, the blues type stuff, uh, Beatles doing all, that, all their stuff as well, going to the Cavern, going to the Twisted Wheel, going to the three Coins, and also doing private gigs uh, as, as different kinds of groups. Uh, we got to a point where we had a group called the Four Tones. Uh, and in, in that group, everybody, everybody that was with that was in, was, was in the group, the Hollies, except for the guitarist. He, he was in the Four Tones. So that group went to a place called the Oasis, which was uh, in Manchester, which we played there many times. The Beatles played there. Everybody played there. We used to cross, you know, meet people. Mm-hmm. And there was no anonymity with, with any, and no, no no, people saying, well, quit, let's get, the, let's get over this band, you know, bloody, you know. None of that happened at all. Uh, and um, so we got to the Oasis and we just reformed, like this, this band from the Four Tones into this band. Didn't have a name. So when we went on, the guy says, what are you going to call yourselves? Um, it was Christmas, just holly leaves all around. And I'm going to say it was me that said it, but I know <laughs> people will say no, I said it, and no, like, yeah, no, I said it. But I think it was me that said, "Cause the Hollies," and we went on stage as the Hollies that night in 1962, and it was, it, I think it was December, and so therefore we went out as the Hollies as a, a semi-professional group, um, doing all the same old clubs, but within within that we uh, we we we. We played more or less all the same songs as everybody else, but we had we always had that difference about me and Graham being we, you know, we had that particular sound which everybody loved, so we stood out, you know, from a lot of bands except the Beatles. Beatles got the midland; they became very, very famous overnight, uh, and they were a great success. It changed it changed the, the attitude about music and what kind of people were playing it. You know, actually, these were people from up north. You know, we talk funny, you know, and, and they say funny things. And uh, and then it, when they had a hit, the big hit after that, uh, everybody, all the producers down in in uh, in London, wanted their equivalent of the Beatles. Uh, so they came to see us at the cabin one night. It was EMI, Ron Richards, who later became our producer, saw us on the cabin. Uh, said, "Right, come down to EMI." Recording studios, which of course is now Abbey Road, Uh, and we we did an audition, mainly doing all all the songs that we do on stage, and they says, "Yeah, okay, we'll sign you." And that was it. Overnight, I was uh, I was a professional singer in a professional group, uh, signed to EMI, uh, and having a hit record with uh, what was it? Ain't that just like me? Something like. And searching, we did a lot of coaster songs. Yeah. There were first two singles, and my life changed overnight. And, it, and you know from what I came from, and I had a great childhood. I was the last of, of, a, of a family of seven kids, uh, mm-hmm. and, and my mom and dad and my grandma in in one house. You know, in three bedroom, two bedrooms, three downstairs and like a little kitchen and a, and a loo out in a yard. Of course, it, that didn't mean anything to me other than this is where I live, this is how it was. I never felt that I was being, you know, I, I couldn't have this and I couldn't have that. There were things that I couldn't have, but I accepted it. And you know, my, my life as a kid was great. So getting into somewhere where you can go into a hotel and you can fill a bath up as much as you want with hot water, you know? never ever had that before. it was all somewhere in it where you go for a bath up in you know and you have to the guy says, how much water going in around you know all that bit <laughs> fill a bath with six inches of water you know that, that was part of my life then but that, that was one thing changed but a lot of things changed. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned you mentioned the Beatles there. You probably get asked this all the time, but um, you guys were from Manchester. There's obviously a big rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester and everything, music, sport, life, the world, everything. Um, you were welcomed, though, weren't you, by by the, the Liverpoolians and by the Cavern Club. I mean, how, how yeah. did all that go down?
1: Uh, well, you just go on stage and we, we just did what we did. And they all went, yeah, you know, wow, wow, and all this. But, you know, they loved us. You know, every time we went there, the, the, the place was packed. Uh, but, you know, the, the, there was nothing like that with us and the Beatles. I mean, the last, the, well, what was it? What happens with the band when you turn professional? You've got bookings that you've made for places that you don't really want to play when you're famous. <laughs> yeah. But you have to do them because you're contracted. And I remember uh, in Stoke-on-Trent, we, we were on the bill with the Beatles. And we were in the same dressing room because there was only one dressing room. Uh, and we, of course, you know, we how are you doing and all that blah blah. What are you going on? Going? What are you doing? What songs? Because we didn't want to repeat, you know, because yeah. that's usually what would happen. Uh, and I remember being there, and the two guys, uh, Paul and John, got the guitars out and started strumming about, started writing a song. And they say, "Yeah, come over and help us write this song." So Graham and I went over there and we put, put a word in there and again and, and a little change there. Not 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 too much, not too drastic or anything like that. And they said, oh, all right, thanks for that. Um, I'm still waiting uh, for the contract to arrive, which never did. And that song was Misery. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, so there's nothing like saying, was having to ring him up and say, hey, we want our money. Do nothing like that. Yeah. You always did things for, for the love of it. I mean, I remember Paul coming down a couple of times, uh, asking me to go on and do a few harmonies on what he was doing, which, yeah, of course, you go and do that. Uh, and it, it was no hardship. You were just pals. Uh, the one album that I worked on there was uh, Back to the Egg, which oh, was yeah. solo things. And um, he gave everybody on the album a gold bracelet for Back to the Egg. I lost mine. Oh, she no. Lost it, yeah. And I knew it, yeah, it was in Wimbledon somewhere. But uh, I put my coach down there, the car, and it must have just come off and fell on the floor. Yeah, one of the worst things that's happened to me in my life, I've just lost it. But not to worry, I, I have it all back up here, what I did and what Paul asked me to do. And we, we were, Yeah, you know, I was all going down to the studio when he was there, tinkling away with the piano, writing writing songs and that. And it's not as if, hey, go you know, you can't listen to this. No, we, we were pals. I used to go up to, Paul used to have um, a birthday party, which was Buddy's birthday party every year. And we'd go down there and we'd get on stage and sing together, have drinks, you know, we'd meet all the other guys that liked Buddy Holly. And that happened once a year. Um, and then I don't think it happened after that since uh, Linda died. But um, that was a good gig, you know. I remember being on stage with with Paul uh, and me. And unfortunately, Gary, Gary Glitter was there as well. <laughs> Put him off all the photographs. So, That'd But then it was like, wow, you know, Tim Rice was there, lots of other people, not just for songwriters as well, not just people who perform. Yeah, I, I always look forward to that. But no, there was no nastiness between anybody. You know, i mean john was a bit you know he's a bit cheap you know, you know you'd always try and put me down but that's what, you
2: know <laughs> i've heard that i've heard that a few times uh, no so in terms of the hollies then i mean you had so many hits here in the uk in those early years i mean from 1963 uh, yeah. there was i think it was nine top 10 singles in the space of just three years one of them being a number one i'm alive and then the cracking of america came with the hit bus stop in 1966 now it's a, an interesting story behind this one because it was written by a Future Star, 10cc's Graham Goldman, but he was only young at the time. Yeah, he so was. tell us about that one.
1: I wasn't there when Graham went to see it. Uh, and uh, he, he was he was like us. You know, he, he was lived in... His, well, I didn't see it, so I don't know whether it was a rough area or not. But the one thing that Graham said was that when he was introduced, to was this young kid. You know, he, he must have been about 16. You know, is this young kid, was being like 22, whatever. And he said, he just he, he just went this song down. And I said, I like that one, I like that one. I mean, we, we chose Look Through Any Window and Bus Stop. Um, there was another one called School Girl, which we, we did, which went out on one of the albums later on. And I prefer that to Bus Stop and to Look Through Any Window. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, Graham's done really well on that song. I mean, that's one of the songs that's on the BBC playlist. You know, and it's been that there forever, which is alongside of and Edwards, my brother, and, yeah, yeah that I breathe. They seem to have forgotten about Gasoline, Hallie out <laughs> I'll let go, you know, and all those sort of songs that, that went before that. But there you go. It's, it's all down there now in the vaults. You know, history is there. Yeah. Graham Goorman, yeah, and then he went on to be 10cc. 10, 10 Wonderful. I mean, great songwriter. Yes. Great songwriter.
2: Yeah, absolutely And then um, more kind of hits came after that as well Stop, Stop, Stop on Carousel, as you said, Carry On, etc But the, despite the success of the band Graham um, was hooked by the, the West Coast of America, really Wasn't he, at this stage And he decided to leave the band I mean, how did you feel? Because you, you, like we said, you'd been friends since the age of six I mean, how did it feel when, when he decided to leave? And was it something that you could foresee coming?
1: No, I didn't, I didn't see it coming at all and said, did you know that Graham's forming a group in America? All right. And, 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 I, and I didn't know. Uh, Graham does say that he left a few clues along the way, uh, but you don't think about that thing happening, you know, when you, you've been together for that, that length of time. Um, there was a lot of thing happening in America that um, we went over to America, and um, we when we got to Los Angeles, we were doing a gig at the Whiskey Gogo, and everybody was there you know and when I, and when I mean everybody whoever they could get in that was famous they got in and uh, we did a great show uh, and and after that I think Graham met over with Crosby Stills uh, and still yeah Crosby Stills Crosby Stills I don't think Neil was there no but they came back to the Beverly Comstock where we were staying uh, and I, I was uh, in, a, in a suite with Graham so I was I was really tired. To, to be to be to be honest, I wasn't interested. <laughs> you know, they were just going to do a bit of jamming, and that was it. And uh, I think that that's where the sound was formed. Um, I think that's what Graham fell in love with. He fell in love with the sound. Now, before that, we 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 made an album called Butterfly, mm-hmm. which album uh, which is an album which Graham wanted to take further. Uh, Somewhere which we didn't know about, and he most of the, some of the songs he sang uh, on his own with the, with his own harmonies, um, and the album was okay. But I think Graham was trying to trying to do something more other than the Hollies were capable of by doing the thing on his own. I I thought that was a bit strange, but you know sometimes you say, "Well, let people have their way." and get it out of their system and and, and, see, and see what happens. But it went a bit further than that, you see. Uh, and I think the next time that we went to Los Angeles, um, Mama Cass was on the scene. Graham had made friends with Mama Cass, and he'd been in the recording studio with her. And, and, and I, must admit, I can only think about what happened now. By knowing the truth and the people that were around at that particular time, that Graham was actually doing things with other people, uh, but in my mind, I never thought he was going to do it with with the in mind to to sort of to leave. Anyway, when I found out, I, I went to him and said, "Is this true?" And he said, well, "Unfortunately, it is." Um, obviously, the rest of the boys were were involved, and we tried to have a meeting to persuade him not to go, but. That was never going to happen, and he said, "No, I'm going, and I'm going now." Uh, and I was quite devastated, in a way, uh, thinking about, well, what do I do now? Then I've lost, I've lost my best mate. I've lost the, the guy I was hanging harmony with. We were famous, you know, doing that. What do I do? Um, for, the, for the weeks after that, I was, you know. I, I couldn't really care about anything so I was really mm-hmm. down and um, and then I did, one day he just said, said to me oh hey I was the lead singer you know I'm the lead singer so that for you know I, I had a I had I had something in this group so maybe we'll go out and we'll find somebody who sings just like Graham Terry Sylvester came along and I, I did a few things with him and it, we blended yeah. you know, not, not, not in a friendship kind of way to start off with, but his voice. When I started singing, he, he jumped in. He must have done his homework somewhere, but that, I, I, I don't care about that. He sounded <laughs> great. I thought, wow, okay, let's go in the studios. We were doing a Bob Dylan album at that particular time. He was on the Bob Dylan album. At the same time, we recorded uh, Sorry, Suzanne, which was just like going back to... Uh, like Carrie Ann and and Jennifer Eccles, you know, and and this one. Thinking, well, it's a pop song. That's what we're known for. We tried it that way. It didn't work. So let's just go back to that and see what happens. And it, it was a top ten hit straight away. Well, you know, it still took me a while to to forget what Graham did because I don't think that he. Uh, I don't think that he thought. About what would happen to me when he left me, you know, because I may, I may not have ever found Terrell Sylvester, you know. What I mean, it, it might not have happened that way, mm-hmm. and and I, I, I hate to think of what what I would have turned out to be. Maybe in in those years, I probably could have gone out as a solo singer, but I, and you know, I've always needed guys around me because we've always been close knit, you know. But I, I didn't didn't go that way, and and later on. Uh, we we actually made some really brilliant records, uh, which, you know, I mean, even Graham said on the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame DVD, uh, not the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it was the, the invasion, British invasion that we did, uh, a documentary type thing, him saying that, how dare they have a hit up to number ones after I left? How dare they? Uh, it was a bit surprised, more than more than surprised, that actually we had more than two hits. We, I think, we had four or five or six after he left, which I think is about six more needed. <laughs> 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 no, but you know, I'd, I'd forgotten all that that had gone in the past. You know, that I was successful with the rest of the Hollies, and so my life was really good. So we carried on from I mean, the last hit we had was the air that I breathed. And you know we were doing good tours. We were going out and doing tours. We became a touring band like most people did, um, because people loved us. They wanted to see us, so we did it. You know, I suppose if we hadn't got full bookings everywhere we went, we'd have given up. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was a lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. And and the years went by, and he and Heavy was a hit again in 1989, I think you would have thought that happened from a, a Miller Lite advert, you know, good God, you know, it's a spiritual song. It's not for selling beer. <laughs> but, you know, they, they just carried on, carried on after that even more because of that, ad, you know, that advert in, in a sorry way, really. And yeah. it, actually my voice gave out. And, and well, my, my story has been what we've been talking about from then on.
2: Absolutely. And as you said, that went to number one. It was an incredible hit for you. But another big hit we have to touch on as well, Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress. I mean, it is just a rock and roll classic. But it was written quite quickly, wasn't it? And originally, I think I'd heard you said it was just an album song, wasn't it? It wasn't meant to be this all-conquering single.
1: No, I started writing with Roger Cook, you know, Blue Mink, fabulous writer. He, He said to me one day, do you fancy writing a song? I said, yeah, why not? We met at the at the air, the producers for air, 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 air producers. Uh, that was George Martin, uh, Ron Richards, and uh who the other two are now. But we went to their offices and sat down in the basement where there was a piano which wasn't touched. I took my guitar down, my little, t- <laughs> and and I said, "Well, why? have you got any ideas?" He says, "Well, I've got this one idea. He uh, hadn't got it there completed or anything like that." so "You know, I would have done it." or well, my name wouldn't have been on it. Let's put it that way. Uh, and, and that's why I had my guitar and I started doing a sort of a rhythm. And then he said, I'd like to make this song about um, a detective in America, you know, that, that gets involved with this woman. And we worked our way through it to get to the point where it was Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress with my intro and my guitar chugging away there all the way through which is one of the main things in, in the actual whole song. But it was done in a way that it came very quickly. When when I say quickly, it was about half an hour to three quarters of an hour. And in that, we drank a bottle of brandy. You know, so it, we weren't that serious about it was going to go on the US. But I took it to the boys. And we, I, again, was we in the studios. And I played them this. And says, oh, that sounds really good. We were doing the Distant Light album. Um, and uh, so Tony said, well, you, you can play it. You play it. Uh, I know why he said that now. Uh, but anyway, I, I yeah, Put my guitar down with Bobby on drums and Bernie on bass, uh, and then I did a vocal. Two, two. I did two, and we picked the first one, uh, and in the mix, uh, Tony put some more rhythm guitar on it to keep it together. Uh, Ron Richards didn't produce it. Uh, there was no harmonies on it. Mm-hmm. We went, took it into the engineer. The engineer said, "I put some slap echo on it." We hadn't even mixed it, you know. So said, put some slap echo, tell me what you think. He said, that's it, just leave it. Don't do any more, you know. Ron Richards heard you the day after, and he says, you've got to take the slap echo off. I said, said, I'm not doing that. He said, well, it's not going on the album. I said, no, you can't say that, it's going to go on the album. And he said, well, okay, then I'll go on the album with the slap echo. He said, no one will understand what you're singing. I said, it's rock and roll. You know, so anyway, I'd, I'd left the group. Again, it's one of those things where I want to do an now. I was writing with Roger Cook. I was writing with uh, Tony, uh, Tony McCauley, you know, and other people. And I was getting songs similar to, the, uh, you know, Long Cool Woman. And I'm thinking, oh, I think I'll do a solo album. Gu- guys, I want to do a solo album. Is that all right? No. <laughs> oh, well, why not? Because if you do that, you'd be like, Graham, you'll leave. So I said, I won't leave. I don't want to leave. I just want to do a solo album. He said, well, if you do that, you'll have to leave the group. So virtually they sent me.
2: Wow. <laughs> so- the, the, I was going to say, the story behind that is that the, the song then got later released after you'd left the band.
1: Yes. And it was number two. Well, you know, I got a guy around me from America and said, I want to publish this song that you've written called Little good Woman. I said, well, why? He says, well, it's going up the charts. You need someone to look after it. I said, okay. And then when it had reached number two, I thought, well, maybe I should be going out and actually doing this uh, promotion. So I did get in touch, and they said, no, you can't do that. And the Hollies went to America uh, with, uh I forget his name now, yeah? but they had another singer with, you know, I must have must put this in, that they had hits with this singer. He was Swedish, and he, his, his English was not all that good. But anyway, I didn't get to America to do that, and uh, and I think that was one of the the worst things that the Hollies ever did to themselves. Because if they'd have had me in the band when they went there, uh, then they would it would it would have mean, meant a lot more. It would have opened up the Americans to us to actually become bigger than we were because of that particular song. Well, because of, they wouldn't let me do that, I think you know they they let themselves down that one. But anyway, what happened was Tony came after a couple of years and said, "Look, you know, we got to be back. You know, you, you just can't do it without you." So, said so I didn't want to leave in the first place, darling. So really, <laughs> maybe you've wasted three years and I've wasted three years. So, you know, okay, let's let's let's, let's do it. Well, I got back and we had, we had a, hit, a hit, 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 hit,
2: hit,
1: Yeah, right, right up until you know the other I read and. Uh, Again, everything, everything goes from that to, to the rest of history to this particular day. But Long Core Woman was something which has, has gone on all the way through my life. You know, obviously, being, I don't know how many films it's been in. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. But I can say that about the air that I breathe and Ian Heavy and a lot of other Holly seats which have been in films. Uh, and you know, that's good when you do that that actually a lot of people recognize you by seeing a film Yeah, they go oh oh, who is that and they go on by records so yeah life's funny in that way
2: it is. It's absolutely fantastic. And just one last thing that you, you touched on earlier as well, the, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You are inducted in in 2010. I mean, talk to me about that, because that is that's a, a, an incredible achievement for, for for many British bands to go over. and. I have spoke to many people yeah. that have been inducted. So, so tell me about your experience of that kind of, the, the nominations and then getting inducted and then the night itself.
1: Well, the thing about that is Graham persuaded me to do it because I didn't think that I could sing and if I went, if I went there with, with a show like that, which was so big, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's very important when it goes out and billions of people watch it. I didn't want to go on there and make a fool of myself or even make a fool of Graham or anybody else that was there. So my first reaction to that was Graham. I can't do it. I can't sing. And he said, well, I he said, don't worry about that. I said, well, I do. He said, well, don't. He said, just come over. He says, enjoy it. And we'll, we'll we'll make it work. Well, okay, that that was my main thought. We'll make it work. Wrong, um, Tony and Bobby. No, they didn't want to do it. As I say, you know, they they should have done it, but they didn't. Uh, so the next thing was that Jenny and I was on a plane going over to New York with uh, with Toby, my son, because he he couldn't have missed out on anything like that. Uh, And we get to the Waldorf Hotel by Limousine Cars, which was, you know, it was really, it was really well, you know, it's important, it's well done with my name on it. Uh, So I really felt important and uh, got to the Waldorf, got into the rooms and then they says, well, we want you to go down and meet the uh, band Uh, and, and Graham's up there waiting for you. So I went in and as I walked into it, everybody clapped. Hey, Alan Clark's come in the room. Wow. And, I, and I thought, well, they, they do that sort. I didn't think that they did that sort in America, but they do. And, you know, Graham came over and gave me a hug, and I got on stage. And these two other guys were, were standing on stage with me. And there was the Paul Ritchie band, you know, which absolutely fabulous. Uh, we were going to do Bus Stop and Monk, woman. And he introduced me to the two guys unbeknown to me that the lead singer of five was there and then the lead singer of train, you know, and, and I said, well he said, but well, they're gonna help with the with the with you know they're gonna help you get through it. I thought, well you we better try it, you know. So my son was there in the audience It wasn't an audience, it was empty, you know. And I said, let, let me know if it's crap or it's not, you know. So we we did bust up, and I think it was the adrenaline. Yeah. And knowing that i had these i did i really didn't they weren't actually that famous then i don't think you know it was only after that that they moved like jacket came out and blah 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 and and they really he really had good voices especially the guy trained uh because he, he did the long cool woman one with me yeah and, and I, I and i looked at my son my son went <laughs> i thought oh that sounded pretty good so i was there and i was singing and everybody went, that was great. If it had been crap, right, <laughs> it would have said so, but it wasn't. And I think it wasn't crap because I had the two guys giving me the confidence to be able to, to actually push myself forward without caring, you know, and doing it without thinking, I think, is, is the way to do something like that. Instead, there's stressing all the time. They took the stress away completely. Um, so the guitarist for Long Good Woman, there were two guitarists in the group, And one of them says, we're doing Long Core Woman, but we can't do the intro, Alan. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, there's something there that we're missing. He says, and everybody else that we know can't play it either. I says, well, the the riff has been around for a long, long time. So, sure, you you must be able to do it. He says, no, we can't do it. There's there's a note missing, which we don't know how you do it and where you get it from. And what it is, it's just a clip a flick on one, twice on one string, which you can't see when you're doing it. So he mm-hmm. diddle them, diddle them, diddle them, down. and he said diddle them. They couldn't get, couldn't see how they did it. So when I showed them, they went, oh, that's easy. You know, I said, yeah, it's easy now, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you know I did laughter, you know, it was, it was something that was joyful. Um, and then we went, we went to bed and the next morning was the day we went down and did a, a, a first rehearsal, which we went through. And then, you know, in the afternoon, it was the start of the big, the big thing. We went down. Uh, we were in the audience at our own table with Graham and, and his, his, his family uh, and, and Toby and myself. And uh, the people went on and came off. Uh, and then it was our turn. And they came to collectors and we went on stage. And it was like when we were introduced, it was. And actually, the guy, um, what's his name now? Van Dance. Yeah. Stevie Van Zandt, yeah. Stevie Van Dance was the guy who'd actually uh, enabled us to to get to the point where we were inducted, um, a, along with another a lot, a lot of other names. Because when you get into uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, all the people that are already there, if they're still alive, vote for who's going to be in. You see, so all the people voted for the Hollies to be in it, and um, and Stevie, he, he was great. He was playing guitar with us. He knew how to play it. Yeah, of course, knew <laughs> you, you know, and he was great because you know Bruce Springsteen. We had we had we had something you know together, and and we did the show, and it went down tremendously well, and and I was thinking to myself, well, that was a bloody miracle. Uh, it, it just came out of it uh, from nowhere. And it was a th- for four days we were there, and it was thoroughly en- enjoyable. Uh, you know, being with Graham and his family, and, and and the rest of the family couldn't come because of kids and things like that. And uh, we had a really good time. And uh, with Graham, it was well. See you the next time. And I went home, and I and I I I, I was thoroughly glad that I took his advice. And those those two guys were there to help me through it. But I, I did feel myself that I, I did actually do my own in my, a good job doing it, and then that was a, that was the end of it. Then it was back home doing what, what I normally do in <laughs> my family. You no, know, it's crazy. Those things happen to people. Yeah, absolutely it's phenomenal. Yeah, going from the mill, you know, all of a sudden he's on. Yeah.
2: yeah. Fantastic stuff. And you say, you say a guy from the mill. One last story, if you don't mind indulging me, Alan. I know I've taken up a lot of your time, but uh, I heard you once tell a story about um, getting to see Elvis Presley uh, oh. live in concert in Las Vegas. Could, and, and the funny uh, funny anecdote about being in the line and having uh, your tickets and things like that. Would you mind telling that story again?
1: Well, that was funny uh, because I was recording in Los Angeles and I was with Elvis, drummer. He was drumming for me on my session. And uh, I, did, I actually said to him, I said, it'd be nice to see Elvis i got, got a couple of days off, you know, if I could get there. And he says, well, what do you want to do? You want to see Jerry Weintraub. He's the guy who does it all. And the the guy in in, in the, the guy that was producing it, was heard in, and came down, said, I know, Jerry, if you want to go and see Elvis, I'll get you tickets. And he said, yeah, VIP tickets. I thought, oh, great, wonderful. Because it's not far to, you know, to Las Vegas. Uh, and when we got to the point, the 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 owner of the studio said, "You can use my house." You oh, know, well, I pray. So we got we had we had a house, which was a really decent house, and we were going to see Elvis. Uh, so on the night we we go there, and we go up to the Metro D, whose queues are down there. Queues are down there, and then I show him the tickets, and he says, "He says yes, sir." He says, "Stand in the queue." I said, "Stand in the queue." He said, "Yes, yeah, stand in the queue." And I said, I said but it is a VIP ticket? He says, yes, stand in the queue. So I thought, this is not right. So, you know, you do one of those double takes and thinking, i got to try one more time. I said, no, I said, this is Jerry, who sent us VIPs. And he said, yes, sir, stand in the VIP queue. <laughs> I, the, the queue that I didn't look down I was too, I was too eager to get in there was all that people that I recognized who stood in this queue, so we had to stand in the queue, fortunately for me was that when we went in the maitre d' had made sure that we got a table right at the front so I was like, wow. I was three feet away from Elvis at one time, I mean he looked terrible but if you closed your eyes it was just Unbelievable! His voice was absolutely fantastic, and he didn't actually come over our way to the stage and stood in front of us, you know. And he was doing that thing with with the cloth and doing his head and passing them out. And and I thought, I think I'm going, I'm going to get one of those. Yeah, I can get, I can get Elvis's DNA. All these things are going through my head. when we going? And he came over and he got he got the scarf off and held it, and I went I went like that. And all of a sudden, you know, I reached out for it and I got pulled back. Very strongly, and I looked back, and my wife had pulled me back, and she, I said, "What do you do that for?" She said, "Don't be silly." He said, "That's for women, not for men." <laughs> <laughs> but had, you know, it's just one of those things that would have been nice to sort of bring off to shes, she's can't. What silly things that you do when you, you know, you're enjoying yourself? Uh, I'll never forget that. I went, after, went back to the the coffee shop, and it was all over, and. Uh, Elvis' drummer was there, and I asked him any 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 chance of getting upstairs and meeting the big man. He said, "You don't want to, Alan." He says, "Do you, you remember him? How you want to remember him? You don't want to go upstairs," which was a shame. Uh, yeah, I'll remember that as well. I, at least I got to see him, and I nearly got scars
2: <laughs> Well, Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I've loved this last hour or so. Thank you very much for your time.
1: It's been my pleasure. It really has.
2: What a fascinating storyteller, so open and honest. Please check out his new work with Graham Nash, Buddy's Back. The single is available to listen to and stream, etc., and all that sort of stuff now. And the album is available to pre-order too, so please do get involved and help him out. Right, it's the time of the show for this week's top five, and of course it's going to be my favourite five songs from the Hollies. Last week's top five was my favourite five Kansas songs, Uh, thanks to the big interview I did with Kansas guitarist Rich Williams. A big thanks to everyone who was in touch during the week with their favourite Kansas songs. Uh, Joe Kay is... Uh, Joe Kay says Fight Fire With Fire is a great track. Becky Salerno and Vicky Cowan-Hayes both said that their favourites were Play the Game Tonight and Point of No Return. Lazar's Life, or is it Lazar's Live? I'm not sure. Said Song for America and Hopelessly Human. And Terence Dane agrees with Carry On Wayward Son and also said that Dust in the Wind has to be number two. David Davies, I don't think it's the Kinks guitarist, but uh, there you go. His top five were Lamplight Symphony, The Wall, What's On My Mind, Song for America and Summer. A big thanks to everyone for getting in touch with your choices this week. So, on to the Hollies then, and I'm a big fan of the Merseybeat sound, and although they were from Manchester, they had that style for sure. A lot of their early songs were played constantly in my house when I was younger, and I remember wearing out a cassette I had with loads of Merseybeat favourites on there. So, this is a personal list, not a kind of critic's choice kind of thing. I don't expect you to fully agree with it. In fact, I'd love to hear how you would disagree with it. Message me on the socials or email vintagerockpod at gmail.com during the week and I'll give you a mention on next week's programme. So, let's see what you make of these then. My favourite five songs from the Hollies. At five is a brilliant sing-along song that was written about Marianne Faithful, according to an interview with Graham Nash. Big hit for the group, going to number three in the UK and number nine in both America and Canada in 1967. At number five is Carrie Ann. At number four is a beautiful song that was written by Bob Russell and Bobby Scott. The piano on the original recording of this from 1969 was played by Elton John, who was a session musician at the time. It was a big hit in 1969, peaking at three in the UK and seven in the US, before refinding fame in 1988, going to number one in the UK for two weeks. At number four is He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. He ain't heavy And number three is an early one, reaching number two in the UK in 1964. It's another infectious song with fantastic harmonies between Alan Graham and Tony. And number three is Just One Look.
0: Just
1: One Look.
2: Number two is their first hit in America, where it reached number five, same as it did in the UK, although it was a big number one hit in Canada. Originally written by a young Graham Goldman, who would go on to find fame in 10cc. And number two is Bus Stop. And at number one for me is their Rockier number. It's a great song which is different to many of their other hits as it doesn't feature the famous three-part harmonies. No, from the album Distant Light, my favourite song from the Hollies is Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress. So there you go my top five songs from the hollies as always i'd love to hear what you think what's your favorite track of theirs message me on the social media platforms look out for the post during the week or you can email me vintagerockpod at gmail.com i'll give you a mention on next week's program i will and remember to check out facebook twitter instagram and youtube for all the vintage rock pod latest well That's it for me, though. This week's big interview show has been a big one indeed. Thank you very much for listening to it. Make sure you subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod on your podcast app so that you get all the episodes that are released every single day, remember. And I'll be back tomorrow with another This Day Rocks. So until then, take care.